Chapter Thirteen of the Scottish Fairy Book by Elizabeth W. Grierson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Fairies of Merlin's Crag. About two hundred years ago, there was a poor man working as a laborer on a farm in Lanarkshire. He was what is known as an order man, that is, he had no special work mapped out for him to do, but he was expected to undertake odd jobs of any kind that happened to turn up. One day his master sent him out to cast peats on a piece of moorland that lay on a certain part of the farm. Now this strip of moorland ran up at one end to a curiously shaped crag, known as Merlin's Crag, because, so the country folk said, that famous enchanter had once taken up his abode there. The man obeyed, and being a willing fellow, when he arrived at the moor he set to work with all his might and main. He had lifted quite a quantity of peat from near the crag when he was startled by the appearance of the very smallest woman that he had ever seen in his life. She was only about two feet high, and she was dressed in a green gown and red stockings, and her long yellow hair was not bound by any ribbon but hung loosely round her shoulders. She was such a dainty little creature that the astonished countryman stopped working, stuck his spade into the ground, and gazed at her in wonder. His wonder increased when she held up one of her tiny fingers and addressed him in these words. What wouldst thou think if I were to send my husband to uncover thy house? Your mortals think that you can do aught that pleaseth you. Then stamping her tiny foot, she added in a voice of command, Put back that turf instantly, or thou shalt rue this day. Now the poor man had often heard of the fairy folk, and of the harm that they could work to unthinking mortals who offended them. So, in fear and trembling, he set to work to undo all his labor and to place every divot in the exact spot from which he had taken it. When he was finished, he looked round for his strange visitor, but she had vanished completely, and he could not tell how nor where. Putting up his spade, he wended his way homewards, and going straight to his master, he told him the whole story, and suggested that in future the peach should be taken from the other end of the moor. But the master only laughed. He was a strong, hardy man, and had no belief in ghosts or elves or fairies, or any other creatures that he could not see. And although he laughed, he was vexed that his servant should believe in such things. So to cure him, as he thought of his superstition, he ordered him to take a horse and cart and go back at once and lift all the peats and bring them to dry in the farmsteading. The poor man obeyed with much reluctance, and was greatly relieved as weeks went on to find that in spite of his having done so, no harm befell him. In fact, he began to think that his master was right, and that the whole thing must have been a dream. So matters went smoothly on, winter passed and spring and summer, until autumn came round once more, and the very day arrived on which the peats had been lifted the year before. That day, as the sun went down, the Aura man left the farm to go home to his cottage, and as his master was pleased with him, because he had been working very hard lately, he had given him a little can of milk as a present to carry home to his wife. So he was feeling very happy, and as he walked along he was humming a tune to himself. His road took him by the foot of Merlin's crag, and as he approached it he was astonished to find himself growing strangely tired. 
His eyelids dropped over his eyes as if he were going to sleep, and his feet grew as heavy as lead. "'I will sit down and take a rest for a few minutes,' he said to himself. "'The road home never seems so long as it does today.' So he sat down on a tuft of grass right under the shadow of the crag, and before he knew where he was, he had fallen into a deep and heavy slumber. When he awoke it was near midnight, and the moon had risen on the crag, and he rubbed his eyes, when by its soft light he became aware of a large band of fairies, who were dancing round and round him, singing and laughing, pointing their tiny fingers at him, and shaking their wee fists in his face. The bewildered man rose and tried to walk away from them, but turn in whichever direction he would, the fairies accompanied him, encircling him in a magic ring, out of which he could in no wise go. At last they stopped, and with shrieks of elfin laughter, led the prettiest and daintiest of their companions up to him, and cried, Thread a measure, thread a measure, O oh man, then wilt thou not be so eager to escape from our company. Now the poor laborer was but a clumsy dancer, and he held back with a shamefaced air, but the fairy who had been chosen to be his partner reached up and seized his hands, and lo, some strange magic seemed to enter into his veins, for in a moment he found himself waltzing and whirling, sliding and bowing as if he had done nothing else but dance all his life, and, strangest thing of all, he forgot about his home and his children, and he felt so happy that he had no longer the slightest desire to leave the fairy's company. All night long the merriment went on. The little folk danced and danced as if they were mad, and the farm man danced with them, until at last a shrill sound came over the moor. It was the cock from the farmyard crowing its loudest to welcome the dawn. In an instant the revelry ceased, and the fairies, with cries of alarm, crowded together, and rushed towards the crag, dragging the countrymen along in their midst. As they reached the rock, a mysterious door, which he never remembered having seen before, opened in it of its own accord, and shut again with a crash as soon as the fairy host had all trooped through. The door led into a large, dimly lighted hall full of tiny couches, and here the little folks sank to rest, tired out with their exertions, while the good man sat down on a piece of rock in the corner, wondering what would happen next. But there seemed to be some kind of spell thrown over his senses, for even when the fairies awoke and began to go about their household occupations, and to carry out certain curious practices which he had never seen before, and which, as you will hear, he was forbidden to speak of afterwards, he was content to sit and watch them, without in any way attempting to escape. As it drew toward evening, someone touched his elbow, and he turned round with a start to see the little woman, with the green dress and scarlet stockings, who had remonstrated with him for lifting the turf the year before, standing by his side. "'The divots which thou tookest from the roof of my house have grown once more,' she said, "'and once more it is covered with grass, so thou canst go home again, for justice is satisfied.' Thy punishment hath lasted long enough, but first must thou take thy solemn oath never to tell to mortal ears what thou hast seen, whilst thou hast dwelt among us. The countryman promised gladly, and took the oath with all due solemnity, 
then the door was opened and he was at liberty to depart his can of milk was standing on the green just where he had laid it down when he went to sleep and it seemed to him as if it were only yesternight that the farmer had given it to him but when he reached his home he was speedily undeceived for his wife looked at him as if he were a ghost and the children whom he had left wee toddling things were now well-grown boys and girls who stared at him as if he had been an utter stranger where hast thou been these long long years cried his wife when she had gathered her wits and seen that it was really he and not a spirit and how couldst thou find it in thy heart to leave the bairns and me alone and then he knew that the one day he had passed in fairyland had lasted seven whole years and he realized how heavy the punishment had been which the wee folk had laid upon him end of chapter thirteen